Good morning from WKYT News. I'm Bill Bryant and we welcome you to Kentucky Newsmakers and certainly hope you've been enjoying a wonderful Christmas weekend. Later, a Kentucky lawmaker makes a push to get communities ready to give second chances to those trapped in drug addiction. His plan would certify cities or counties whether or not they're ready with the resources to change lives. State Representative Adam Bowling will be with us a little bit later. But first, Kentucky Education Association represents 44,000 members who are involved in what happens in our schools. The pandemic has changed everything as most learning went virtual, but the push to reopen schools is strong and it appears that most plan to get in-person learning going next month. Teachers and other school personnel have questions and concerns about how it will all go and about vaccines that they'll be offered ahead of some other groups. Pension questions have returned to Frankfurt ahead of the legislative session as well. And KEA President Eddie Campbell is joining us here on Kentucky Newsmakers. Mr. Campbell, welcome. Good to see you. Thank you very much. Uh, thanks for having us, Bill, and happy holidays to everyone. And to you as well. Thank you. Uh, tell us about the, the challenges, first of all, as we look back at, at 2020, that teachers and other school personnel have faced and, and conquered uh, since schools were closed and they had to so quickly shift over to, uh, to online or virtual learning. So yeah, I think the biggest challenge has been uh, ensuring that, that we're delivering a high-quality education uh, through whatever means, you know, and I think that the challenges that we've had in the fall uh, with the disruption of learning uh, in terms of going from in-person uh, uh, to virtual to um, uh, uh, engaging uh, uh, um, those students uh, through that digital meeting uh, medium, those are all going to uh, are, are all going to continue. The virus isn't going to go away. I think there's lots of opportunities, though, that we have we've seen that's come out of this. That our, our educators have gained new skills uh, uh, and through new platforms. Our students are learning new skills, uh, and this group of educators and students are going to be more tech savvy uh, than any generation. And those skills are going to carry forward as we uh, in uh, in this 21st century global economy. You know, the educators have been on the front lines through this whole pandemic. Last March, they literally flipped the system in a weekend uh, and had to learn new ways to engage with their students. Uh, but after that happened, our, our educators reflected on their practice and what, what went well and what didn't go well. So they spent their entire summer learning new ways uh, uh, to engage students. They reinvented instructional models. They reinvented uh, delivery of services such as meal service, uh, um, to make sure that students had healthy food, um, making sure that the cleaning and sanitation so that we had healthy buildings uh, when we moved back into the fall. Our educators have just gone above and beyond. When you have uh, talked with uh, teachers and, and, and school personnel about uh, the way this has all gone, how often do they talk about uh, just missing seeing the kids in person? I think that's the, the, the one word that comes out of every educator's mouth or one phrase that comes out. Every time I talk to uh, one of our members or, or an educator across Kentucky, they, they want to be with their kids. They want their kids uh, to be in person. They miss that interaction uh, because it is different uh, delivering instruction uh, in an in-person setting as opposed to a virtual setting. Uh, I think there's not an educator in this state that doesn't want to return to normalcy, mm -hmm. uh, um, but they also want to make sure that the health and safety uh, is also a top priority. 
Is there also a concern that once school does start back with in-person classes and those doors open and those kids show up, that, that they will come uh, with uh, some emotional scars from what has been a, a very tough year and, and from uh, you know socialization that, that they have lost and, and that there might just be a time of adjustment to, to get to everybody used to being back in school again? Uh, yeah, you know, we have all, uh, through this COVID-19 uh, pandemic, we've all endured trauma. Uh, the educators have endured trauma, our students have endured trauma. That, that uh, separation, uh, that social, uh, emotional well-being uh, is going to be a big issue when we, when we come back in person. And our educators uh, know how to care for their students. They know what teaching and learning uh, what good teaching and learning is, and they know how to meet the needs of their students. And they're going to make sure that their students feel safe, that their students feel loved, uh, and that they're in a safe environment in order to make sure that high quality uh, learning uh, can, and teaching and learning can occur. Teachers are moved up on the priority list for vaccines. Are, are you hearing that most uh, welcome that news and plan to get them, or is it uh, a mixed bag right now as far as, uh, as teachers being vaccinated? Uh, I think it's, it's, a, it's sort of a mixed bag. You know, uh, vaccinations, are, um, especially an emergency vac vaccination like this, uh, is a very personal decision. I, I do want to say that, you know, we appreciate uh, that Governor Bashir uh, prioritized educators in the first rounds. Uh, it, you know, it shows that the governor understands the importance of uh, public education, not only for the academic needs of our students, but also that social and emotional well-being. But also, it, it's our, our public schools are a major economic driver. Uh, our board uh, had a robust discussion about the vaccine uh, and how people feel. Uh, we encourage our members uh, to learn about it, to, to read about it, to, to understand uh, what the vaccine, uh, what all the uh, side effects of the vaccine are. And, and, you know, if they have concerns, well, we're encouraging them to consult with their physician uh, to get those questions answered. And they need to make that the best decision for them and for themselves. But, you know, I know that if uh, when it becomes available and I can take it, I will uh, be taking the vaccine myself. Do you have concerns or questions about whether some school districts may attempt to make it uh, mandatory for school personnel? I, I know there's a question uh, th that's been looming out there. Uh, is this, can this be uh, made mandatory? I know there's, the Department of Ed has released some guidance um, uh, around the if it can be made uh, mandatory uh, to take. I think with the emergency uh, you know, this vaccine is not this, uh, it's, it's still in its emergency use mode. Uh, so I think that's a question that really needs to be considered uh, by each of our local uh, school boards and our school districts uh, and the leaders there uh, that, you know, this is still in that emergency stage. So uh, offering it and, and, and letting uh, the educators make the best decision for themselves. I do want to ask you about uh, what's coming up in the legislature and some things I know you're watching very closely. But let me ask you this. Since the last time I think we talked, uh, Kentucky has a new uh, education commissioner and Dr. Jason Glass, whose formative years were spent uh, teaching here in Kentucky before he went off to uh, leadership posts in a couple of other states. What is your initial reaction to, uh, to his first months on the job? Uh, so I've had uh, many opportunities uh, to, to meet and talk with Dr. Glass. 
uh, he, he's doing a, a wonderful job. He, you know, he's jumped into the middle of this, uh, in the middle of a, in, in the middle of a pandemic. So, uh, yeah, you know, it was a quite a, uh, I mean, talk about jumping into the deep end of the pool. That's exactly what he's done. Uh, but he has, he's, he's, uh, this, he's been phenomenal and, and, you know, communicating out information, having conversations, uh, with leaders in the state, uh, pulling in all the stakeholder groups to get feedback. Uh, especially around school safety, uh, uh, around the COVID-19 uh, uh, pandemic and getting students back to in-person learning and how we can do that safely and effectively. So I, I think he's doing a wonderful job and I uh, just enjoy working with him uh, uh, on a daily basis. So the 2021 legislative session will begin on January 6th. Here they come back to Frankfurt and the pension issue uh, has returned to the discussion. There's a bill that would move to a hybrid system rather than the full defined benefit for newly hired teachers in the future. Senate President Robert Stiver says the current system is not sustainable unless the state digs deeper into uh, it revenue that it uses uh, for all of its programs. Will the KEA oppose a, a change in the way uh, pensions are done? So, you know, we've been in, we've been in the conversations uh, with uh, Representative Massey, <coughs> excuse me, um, around the issue, and we were happy for the opportunity to, to advocate uh, for our members and for future uh, educators that are coming into the system. You know, ultimately we have to have a system that provides a sustainable, sufficient, uh, and reliable retirement income. Otherwise, we're not going to attract new educators into the system. So we have a long history of advocating for protecting the defined benefit uh, retirement for uh, educators because educators in the state of Kentucky don't receive retirement. Uh, we have just received uh, the, a draft, uh, another draft of the uh, proposal we will continue to uh, lift up concerns. Uh, we will continue to educate our members uh, so that they know and understand what's in this bill. Uh, and we haven't taken a position on it currently, uh, but ultimately that will be uh, the KEA board. Uh, that's one of their duties is taking positions on uh, legislation that comes uh, out during the session. Uh, but, but I do wanna point out that even when a bill is, uh, and as you know, when a bill is filed, what it filed, how, how, what it looks like when it's first filed and what it looks like at the end uh, can change dramatically. So we will be watching this very closely uh, throughout the session. Well, Representative Kevin Bratcher recently said that he wishes teachers would stay out of uh, political issues. And of course, that is a, a large part of what the KEA does in terms of advocacy. Uh, how did you take that comment? So, I mean, I, I, I <laughs> so, Educators are, are experts in teaching and learning. And the educator voice needs to be there in, here in Frankfurt. We need to be uh, there at the table, making, uh, helping to craft policy decisions, uh, being engaged in the process. You know, that's, that's, that's a part of the foundation of democracy is having the citizenry uh, engaged in the legislative process. And, you know, it, it's actually a constitutional obligation that the citizens uh, get to have their say and their voice uh, in the crafting of policy uh, and uh, what goes on that is going to impact the lives of, of everyone in the Commonwealth. So I, I truly believe that the educator voice needs to be 
uh, in all these discussions because they are the experts when it comes to teaching and learning. Mr. Campbell, uh, lawmakers will do a budget this year. It is a one-year spending plan. Uh, I'm sure you'll be keeping your eyes on that uh, for education issues, right? Oh, yes. Uh, we always keep our eye on the budget. You know, our uh, school districts across the state, uh, especially through this pan uh, pandemic, uh, ha have really had some hits. Uh, our economy uh, um, it itself has had a hit, which means revenue is going to be uh, down in the state. So ensuring that we are fully funding our public schools, that we can provide every opportunity uh, and every resource possible so that our, our students have a high quality education is always priority number one. Anything else the KEA will be watching for or advocating for in the upcoming legislative session? Uh, you know, it, you never know what's going to come uh, down the pike uh, when bills are filed, but we will be keeping an eye on uh, uh, on all the education legislation that comes through. And uh, as we move through the session, uh, some things will move uh, to the top of the list uh, and then other things will drop off. So, but we will, we will be keeping a close eye on everything uh, that involves uh, or impacts education in the state of Kentucky. Less than a minute left. You are uh, serving as president of KEA while on loan from the Knox County School System where you've uh, taught uh, what choir for many years down there? Yes, uh, you got to miss that, especially during the, the holiday season when uh, there are always so many uh, uh, good uh, concerts and events. Oh yes, I, I miss uh, the interaction with the students. I miss the concerts uh, and working with my colleagues. Uh, you know, to to bring that joy, uh, especially during this time of the year, uh, of music to students and then to the community. So that that's that's something that's really dear to my heart, and I, I miss it greatly. We appreciate you uh, being with us today here on Kentucky Newsmakers. And, uh, you know, let's have a, a good 2021, right? That's exactly right. Thank you so much for having us today. Thank you. Stay with us on Kentucky Newsmakers, and we'll be back in just a moment with Representative Adam Bowling. Welcome back to Kentucky Newsmakers. So good to have you here. I'm Bill Bryant. The opioid problem continues to harm people in the bluegrass, particularly hard in eastern Kentucky. Some have said this pandemic has actually made the issue worse. A Kentucky lawmaker from Middlesbrough is hoping to see some improvements. He's introducing a bill with the hope of doing that. Representative Adam Bowling, Republican of Middlesbrough, joining us now. And we appreciate uh, very much uh, you being with us, uh, Representative. Well, again, Bill, I appreciate you giving me the opportunity. Um, we feel this bill is very important for our local communities um, and for individuals str struggling with substance use and addiction um, so that there are, you know, local options for them and that kind of everybody's yeah. on the same page in addressing this issue. So. Do you do you agree that the, that the pandemic uh, may have made things worse or that it has obscured uh, some of the ongoing uh, opioid crisis that we have out there? Uh, without question. Um, you know, we I was in committee on Tuesday, actually, uh, Health and Family Services. Uh, Van Ingram from Dr Office of uh, Drug Control Policy was there. Uh, overdose deaths are already up this year compared to what they were last year. And those numbers that we had were through the end of September. Actually, September was not even complete. So, um, you know, th this problem, people have been cut off from treatment that they were in. Some people started down the road. Um, you know, they're on recovery, they have jobs. All of a sudden those jobs aren't there that network, those 12-step meetings, or getting into the doc certain doctor's offices, 
uh, to get what they need. Uh, the ability to do that was, was taken away to some degree. And especially when people are in early recovery, that's, that's vitally important is to be connected to, um, to, to groups of people uh, in similar situations that they can lean on um, to get through the process there. So Let's talk. addiction's on the rise. I've talked to all kinds of you know, recovery advocates and recovery experts. And they all agree it's it's definitely been on the rise. So let's talk about your bill. Your proposal is that you would establish what would be called recovery ready communities. Uh, what would that mean? What would they need to do to be uh, uh, considered a community ready to uh, stand up and take on this challenge? Well, for the communities themselves, and you know, there's kind of two parts of this. The bill itself establishes an advisory council. Um, that's made up of individuals from the business community, from the recovery community, from faith-based organizations, law enforcement community. And that panel will actually come up with the actual standards for what they will need to do to become recovery ready. But the big picture that we've kind of painted um, in this is that we want communities to have the ability to create a recovery ecosystem within their communities. Um, you know. Uh, so that we're not just treating one part of it. There, there's gonna be a prevention aspect to it. There's gonna be a treatment aspect for those in active substance use and, and addiction. And then there's gonna be a recovery aspect. So we want communities to have um, programs in all three of those categories, um, which will make them recovery ready. Um, we've learned talking to local governments and uh, just, you know, talking to other individuals that, you know, some communities have a great option for treatment for those in active addiction, but they have nothing to, after they get out of that 30 days, they have nothing to work towards, towards recovery, long-term recovery, gaining the skills they need to, uh, to, to become, you know, employable. And, uh, and, you know, some program, some communities will have some, have a lot of programs in the prevention category, but not really in the active, um, treatment category. So Representative Bowling, we, we, we want to see all three phases. Would you say that, uh, you know, we are putting too many people in jail who need to be in a recovery program uh, as a commonwealth? Absolutely. And, you know, our counties are overridden with the economic and social cost of this. You know, the court systems are clogged up. Um, you know, the county jails are clogged up. Law enforcement resources are used towards it. Um, and, you know, we're having to pay for that, and that's coming at great cost to these counties with local jails. Um, but a lot of these counties, especially in rural areas, you know, they, they don't have the resources to, um, to actively address this issue. So what we hope to do with this legislation, again, this will be housed under the Office of uh, Drug Control Policy. Van Ingram's been a great partner in this. and. We want our communities to be able to work with his office to get programs in place, programs that are already proven to work, um, to get these programs in place so that we have a recovery ecosystem. And hopefully once, once that's there, um, we will see the burdens that are on the court systems, that are on the jails, that are on law enforcement. Um, we will see people, you know, those burdens, I guess, reside and more and more people getting into active treatment.
I know uh, this is uh, uh, both a government and a business issue. I understand the Kentucky Chamber of Commerce is on board in, uh, in helping you push this kind of effort because it's very important to them as well to be able to uh, get employers and uh, get employees who uh, have uh, been through a program and are, are ready to get back to work. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, we've been fortunate. We started this conversation back in July um, and we brought in the Kentucky Chamber, Kentucky League of Cities, CACO, um, several recovery groups, uh, Addiction Recovery Care, Operation Unite, uh, Volunteers of America, and they all bought in early and they've been great partners in this. Um, you know, each of those groups look at it a little bit differently. You know, some of them focus more on the prevention side, some of them focus more on the, the treatment side. And then the chamber obviously um, is really focused on the recovery aspect, specifically um, long-term recovery and getting people back into the workforce. Uh, workforce participation in Kentucky is, is very poor across the board. And we think this is one of the main drivers uh, causing that lack of participation. I know you're uh, trying to build uh, support for this, but at this point, uh, you feel pretty confident that this uh, will pass in the upcoming session? I do feel very confident. Um, I've had the chance to speak with um, my colleagues on both in the House and the Senate. was actually communicating with uh, uh, Leader Thayer about it earlier today. And uh, we, we've, a lot of people are ready to co-sign. They're ready to sign on. Uh, they see the need for it. Um, They've had their their mayors and their county judge executives reach out to them um, because this has been talked about in CACO meetings and, and KLC meetings and uh, our local community, our local governments are excited about it. So I, I think we have a lot of support for it. I, people see the need for it. Um, so I, I do have a, I, I have a good feeling that we'll be able to get this done. Before I let you go, just uh, a couple of other things. Uh, the Republican priorities uh, have, have pretty much been put out there for this legislative session as passing a state budget, which of course uh, needs to be done. There was a one-year spending plan for last year and uh, restraining the governor's emergency powers. Uh, mm -hmm. Do you agree with those priorities? Uh, I do. Uh, I, I do agree with those priorities. Um, you know, how, how that comes about, the actual legislation, the wording, I mean, you know, that that that's a discussion that is ongoing it's been ongoing um but we just feel completely left out of the conversation and uh you know we we hear from our constituents we're closest to you know our constituents our constituents we hear from them daily we hear from them weekly and uh you know conversations should have taken place between the governor's office and and the legislature, we just don't feel like those have adequately taken place. So, you know, we're, we're not gonna try to do it to be punitive towards the governor, but, you know, I think in the future, if we, want to, if we have this same issue out there, um, we feel it's important that the legislature as a co-equal branch of government has the opportunity that if we go into a, you know, a nine, 10, 12 month uh, state of emergency like this, that we have the opportunity to participate um, in the conversation. But Representative, would you say that if uh, the, the Republicans uh, in the legislature do take some ownership of the, uh, of the emergency response going forward, uh, that it would differ greatly from uh, what the governor has done? I mean, would there still be mask mandates, uh, for instance? Uh, um, well, we actually filed a bill um, and, and, and 
put it through, um, it did it did not get signed into law, but it was at the, the very end of last session, um, which was going to give a lot of authority over the boards that govern the different licenses in Kentucky. And we thought that that was a way to get buy-in across the board um, for these for these boards and these organizations to come together, uh, whether it's the cosmetic board or, um, you know, the horse racing commission or whoever it might be to say, hey, this is where we are. This is the plan that we think we can come up with that we can still operate safely. Um, but, you know, we were that that bill got vetoed, did not make it through. And so I, I feel like, you know, there, there needs to be more conversations. There needs to be more buy-in. Um, the governor still needs to have emergency powers to address things um, that are immediate, like natural disasters or, or other instances. We're, we're not, we're not going to try to take that away from him. Uh, we are a part-time legislature, and it's important that our executive branch has the authority when we're not in session to, uh, to run the state. But at the same time, um, you know, this is a unique situation, and it's something that we want to prevent in the future. Representative Adam Bowling, Republican of Middlesboro, thank you very much for sharing with us about uh, the Recovery Ready Communities a bill that you have filed and uh, uh, talking with us about uh, some other issues as well. Thank you, Bill, and, and Merry Christmas to you. And the same. Thank you very much, and Happy New Year. And stay with us on WKYT. We'll be back on Kentucky Newsmakers. Welcome back to Kentucky Newsmakers. Before we go, we have uh, some word about next week's program, and uh, we will have Peter Baniak with the Lexington Herald Leader who runs the operation down there. He'll talk about how his team has covered 2020 and also about the state of journalism and the future of the Lexington Herald Leader. And then State Auditor Mike Harmon uh, is looking into the unemployment obligations now facing the state, and uh, Auditor Harmon will be a guest as well. We hope to see you bright and early for WKYT this this morning for our mid-morning program 10 to 11 on WKYT and for WKYT News at noon in the week ahead. Thank you for joining us and have a good week.